And we're back with another bonus episode of Fathoms and Enneagram podcast. And we're continuing our series on the ever-present, effervescent, excellent work of the integrated Enneagram. It's a lot of ease. He, wow. he truly is. Effervescent. <laughs> wow. He's love it. He's truly the Bangski of the Enneagram. <laughs> Holy yeah. moly! Yeah, except we, we know, know who he is. Actually, though. yeah, I'm okay. not worthy. Catch me up on the reference, Bangski. Yep. Wow, you oh, need to get man. out of your small town Michigan home, here, <laughs> Lindsay. No, look up Bangsy and you'll sudden you'll yes. remember. Yes, not yeah. the guy from Mighty Ducks. <laughs> I was going to say, is this like a nostalgic movie reference? Because that's no. the only one I know. Oh, wow. Anonymous oh. street Quack. artist. Yeah. Quack. Yeah. Quack. Uh, he, they sold a painting of his and then it shredded itself up. It's pretty, pretty it, cool. It was pretty amazing. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. No one knows who he is, et cetera. Anyways, so we are, we're actually going to backtrack a little bit. Drew is not able to join us for this first part. But wanted to get Drew's take on the type three quote, and then we're gonna hit five, six, seven, eight, and nine. Somehow get all, through all, all of those. Of them, baby. Buckle up! Yeah, here we go. Uh, <laughs> it was a really great conversation with the three of us last time, and Lindsay's doing a dance. I don't, I don't know what's <laughs> happening right now, but you said five, six, oh, we're seven, kind of eight. we're in a weird Jasmine. mood. I don't know how this is yeah. gonna go. This could be yeah. amazing yeah. or a train wreck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I abused caffeine yesterday and I'm still feeling the effects. Um, so maybe that's what's going on. Um, well, I'm, I'm on a few things as well because of sickness. Yeah. So, here yes. we go. Um, so, let's just get into this. Um, Buckle in. Three. What can we, uh, Seth, can you read us that three quote again? And, um, sure can. We'd love to hear Drew's thoughts. Yeah, this is from uh, Mother Teresa. She said, if you are humble, nothing will touch you, neither praise nor disgrace, because you know who you are. Yeah, I hate it. <laughs> Great, so that's five. A, that's all I have to say. <laughs> no, say more. Okay. No, I actually, I, I don't hate it. I love it. Um, I think, yeah, I've talked about this before, but one of the most challenging aspects of type three is knowing who you are. Like that's the gut punch of this quote is that because you know who you are. And I think when threes are honest with themselves, they don't know who they are. We don't know who we are uh, apart mm -hmm. from that, which we can do uh, the achievements and productivity that we can manufacture and the praise that we can receive in so doing. Right. Mm. And, and so a lot of the productivity and achievement of a three is trying to keep one step ahead of an existential crisis. <laughs> and, and that, and, and so knowing who you are apart from the things you do, apart from praise or disgrace in humility to a three feels, it, it feels really challenging, hmm. really, really challenging. Right. Um, and even some of the uh, comments, you know, on this particular post, Abram, that, mm. you know, speak to that, right? Yeah. Like one person mm. said, does not compute, and that means it's fire, right? Um, <laughs> because when we're in the trance of our type, it doesn't compute, doesn't make sense. Yeah. 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 Man, we're off to the races. 
Here we go. This is great. Um, this is great. Uh, Drew, can you give an example of what an existential crisis would be for a three? <laughs> uh, so I think, I think you see these existential crises kind of bubble up when uh, a three either fails and has to sit in the mess of the failure, because threes fail all the time. They just kind of pivot, spin it, and move on, mm-hmm. right? But when they actually have to deal with the ramifications of it, that's when the existential crisis comes up. Because if if who I am is defined by the things that I can do in order to impress others, and none of that works, then who the heck am I, right? Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. that's the crisis. How do I rest in inherent value and worth that isn't reliant upon the things that I do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. To a three, that's an existential crisis. To other types, that doesn't that feels pretty simple, right? But to a three, that that's our toughest challenge, right? Yeah, I've heard it said uh, for all heart types, but especially threes, that that the sentence uh, "see me as I want to be seen," and if I'm not able to be seen the way I want to be seen, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm up that creek without that paddle. I got your creek. <laughs> Um, Lindsay, what what are your thoughts? What is what was that face? Yeah. What was that face for? I think I feel I feel a lot of resonance with what you're saying, Drew. Actually, because I think that twos can be very performance oriented, also. Oh yes, very dependent on the feedback they're getting from others, and so yeah, I I feel that yeah. also in different ways. Yeah, reinforces Abram's point there that the heart types. You know, in some circles, they're known as the image types, right? That mm. we we craft mm-hmm. and present this image, and that uh, I think it wasn't Updike who said the mask eats the face. Eventually, you know that, Ooh. and so we the mask that we wear becomes so enmeshed with our identity that we don't know how to take it off. Yeah. Mm. All right, so let's move on to five. Yeah, please. And I'm feeling very vulnerable and raw, so let's move on. <laughs> I was going to say, is this the part where you tell us about your greatest failure? <laughs> nope. <laughs> um, his greatest failure is is him not being vulnerable. That's that's his greatest failure. Yeah. You're not, not entirely a, wrong, actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Thank so, you for your vulnerability there. Yes. Uh, five. All right. So Cynthia Bourgeau, wisdom isn't knowing more. It's knowing with more of you. Abram, how does this hit you? How does this apply to you? Uh, this one, this is actually one of my favorite quotes, hands down. And a lot, for a lot of reasons, I've actually used this kind of, this, this quote for a model for other postings I've done. Yeah. So for me, this, this is like, it, at least it names for me my draw toward wholeness in that, you know, in the, in the experience of growing up, we, we had to like kind of disown parts of us that didn't line up with the idealized self we were trying to become in order to get our needs met. And so it's not that we need to do more of that same one liner, like one note thing that's going to get our needs met. We need to include more of us in order to feel more whole because that's actually what wholeness is. It's including more of you. And especially, especially mm. the parts of you that got left behind. So for mm. me, that's that is a that's like how I take it into nineness, but also how I uh, view it pr- primarily through that lens of wholeness. Yeah. One of the reasons I really love 
the harmony triads approach is because in that model, I have a line to five, which offers me a way to think about and access my, um, my IQ, my sort of intellectual intelligence. And as someone who is very well-versed in emotional intelligence, this is a point that I am sometimes scared of and have some shame around. And so wisdom isn't knowing more, it's knowing with more of you. I hear an invitation there for me to integrate my whole self, um, that I'm more than just a big feelings person, that I am smart and intelligent, that my body is intelligent, that I have these different ways of engaging the world that are all equally valid. And so in times when my um, my emotions sometimes feel overwhelming, that there are other ways for me to know more with more of myself. That's a really wonderful and comforting thought and also has served me very well in, in my own personal growth. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. How about you, Drew? Yeah, I think as a three, it, I think the quote continues to remind me of the need to integrate my heart center, you know, which I have such a complicated relationship with as a three. Hmm. You know, I think threes will enter, we, we enter a room and can read the room and the emotions of the room pretty well, but then very quickly kind of turn that into strategy, right? Cut off that emotional intelligence in order to um, do what we threes do so well. But what's lost is, I, I think, that holistic knowing, you know, that Cynthia's calling us to, where our emotions have a say uh, alongside, you know, our heads and our guts. And in so doing, you know, I think we, we cultivate more wisdom that way. That's, that's the theory anyway. (laughs) Mm. And I think it's easier said than done, but that's what it makes me think of. Yeah. When we talk about fives, we're talking about striving to feel detached and oftentimes for fives, it is the, the, the gaining of knowledge is just more, more bricks for the wall. Um, and I see, I think we've, we've probably talked about this before, but Wisdom is is more knowledge applied, and I see at least in my own life the especially because like the space that I'm in, right? I'm supposed to have some level of answer to sure. people's problems, um, to issues that arise, to questions about emotions and life and existence, and it's really tempting to try to solve of the all of those really neatly. But sometimes, what true wisdom is is shutting up. And, and letting that tension and anxiety be there as part of the true reality of existence instead of trying to explain what's happening or why this could be or how do I get out of this? It's like, well, let's just sit there. Let's yeah. just <laughs> contemplate the anxiety of existence. And I think for me, that's kind of how that applies is instead of just throwing facts and philosophical mumbo jumbo at questions at big questions that have big feelings it's like well let's just feel those big feelings and that's yeah. that to me is wisdom uh seth why don't you go ahead and read um, that second slide for the five the temptation is to believe comprehension of information about something or someone is the same as experiencing it today find a moment to pause 
take a deep breath and see if you can relinquish a little of the compulsion to use information to stay detached from direct encountering intangible participation. Practice allowing your knowledge to help you engage more wisely, but then do inhabit your body and move into the actual experience that includes emotional vulnerability. Okay, so the quote for the type six, deep down in the human spirit, there is a reservoir of courage. It is available, always waiting to be discovered by Pema Chodron. Seth, you have a line to six. <laughs> it's true. Um, yeah, you know, where this takes me is there's this aspect of, of sixness where, you know, when, when what you're trying to do is gain and cultivate certainty, it is about becoming excessive with questions. And, and that's actually the thing that gets in the way of, of uh, accessing kind of knowing what you already know in a way. And so like for me, yeah. this is, it's all about trust, really. I, I feel like I, I, I tend to do have this basic trust um, that, that might be, have something to do with my, my line to six, but I, I feel like I, I'm able to often tap into this kind of basic trust about the fact that I will be kind of, things are going to work themselves out. Like the universe is, is uh, rigged for wholeness. It's, it's rigged for, for uh, I don't know. Hmm. If I'm, if I'm, in, if I'm integrity with my, myself, then, then that's, I don't have anything to worry about, you know? So there, it, to me, it just it comes up, it brings up this basic trust about how things work if I am, you know, being my, my truest, authentic self. And to be clear, when you say wholeness, you're not saying perfection. Yeah, definitely not. No, just wholeness as in, as I am, all of me accepting it as it is being just at all being here, whatever that version of me is right now. I don't know if you guys have experienced this or not, but I feel like there's no other number on the Enneagram that has more resistance to the way they are described in Enneagram literature mm -hmm. than the sixes in my life that I know. And I think it's because one of my best friends was just saying this the other day. She sent me a, a picture of a cat looking at themselves in the mirror and they were painting. This cat is painting and the cat is looking at themselves in the mirror, but painting a lion. So you see the cat's reflection, but the cat is seeing themselves as a lion and painting their self-portrait in that way. And she said, this, this is me, not like what all these books say. I don't identify with my feelings of fear as a six. Mm -hmm. I don't feel like a fearful person. I identify with my reaction to the fears that everyone has. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Wow. That's so great. sixes really, I, I don't think they really see themselves, at least not the ones who are talking to me. They don't see themselves as afraid. I think as a two, I tend to rehearse my fears a lot. And this is where I, I, I thought I was a six at one point for a long time because, because of that anxious rehearsal of fears. And um, I think everybody's afraid. Everybody's afraid mm -hmm. at some point or all the time of something. So this is really beautiful and encouraging to me. And see, if I could uh, piggyback like on it. that, which is I know a good term for this podcast. It's this, 
to me, this is some of the connection of the line or the uh, the triangle points, because uh, Drew, I wonder how this hits you. But in this, it's in the same way that nines don't know they're angry, that sixes don't know they're afraid. Mm. I think that's there's a similarity there. Like, I just am so unfamiliar that that uh, I've been swimming in that pattern my whole life. That I'm so it's so right here. It's just not even. Mm. It's not something I'm able to even recognize. Yeah, just jump over the feeling of it and go straight to yeah. what am I going to do? Yeah, I have a line to sixes well. Um, it, yeah, it, this reminds me of the fact that you know sixes do present themselves as you know more skeptical, skittish, if you will, right? Security focused, and yet when when things go awry, they're the ones we look to, <laughs> right? Because th- that's when the courage and intuition kicks in. But it, it's hard to see it until it gets to that point. I think that's the challenge, right? Mm. It's often hard to see the courage until until a certain threshold is met of where, okay, it's time to activate, right? Um, I, I think, though, thinking about it from the perspective of a three, I think that internal courage that, that the six does possess but struggles to see is also evident in the three as it relates to when threes are willing to have the courage to commit to a common good and a cause bigger than themselves, you know, there's, there's a courage that is required that, Hey, you know, we're going to be okay. <laughs> you know? Um, and we don't have to be the impressive, uh, ones. We don't have to be the ones that, uh, solely produce, um, you know, Mario talks about the difference between, you know, being a, a doer and a leader for a three, that is, that's it, a tough transition, uh, for threes to make because they're really good at doing things because it, it produces all the things that their type really wants. Um, but it takes a lot of courage then to kind of become part of something, you know, that's bigger than themselves. And I think, um, it's there, but it's, it's really hard to access. I find it interesting that like after we read this quote and we all immediately went to fear instead of courage, which I think, I mean, it's obvious because that that is a lot of what we talk about when we talk about sixes. In some ways, I think is I think is I heard it from Tara Brock of fear is just your love of being alive, and it makes me think of another quote of I forget who said it, but it was like, um, courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the determination that something is more important than that fear. And I think that's, yeah, oftentimes, right, we're relegating sixes into this scaredy cat corner. But actually they're, they're tapped into it in a way that is, they, I've seen sixes, right, truly just love being alive and tapped into that love of living and want to just squeeze every last drop out of it. And they're aware of all the ways that could knock them out of that rhythm. And so I guess for me, how it, how it relates to me is when I think of courage, in some ways it, it makes me think of the times when I'm about ready to go on stage or something like that where I'm, I'm, I have adrenaline coursing through my veins and I'm just, um, I'm nervous and just reminding myself to channel that as like not not thinking about all the ways in which people are going to reject me, but rather that I deeply care about this thing. And this thing is really important to me. And I want to do a good job. I want to convey my 
convey who I am to the people in front of me. And so seeing the other side of the coin of fear, and I, I think it's not necessarily courage because um, courage and fear can exist in the same space. Okay. What I heard you saying is that courage isn't the absence of fear, it's acting because of something meaningful for us is, is here and we want to act amidst, amidst the fear being present right. anyway. Even if it's as basic as I would like to keep living. Yeah, that's, that's totally courageous. It's very valuable. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. So the paragraph for the six is, it says, the temptation is to believe that you can obtain assurance and security through mental questioning and threat forecasting. Today, t- find a moment to pause, take a deep breath, and see if you can relinquish a little of the compulsion to doubt yourself and magnify in your imagination what feels unpredictable in in life as a way to manage uncertainty. Practice allowing for yourself more personal reliance and inner authority by letting go of some of your dependence on social support systems to know what's true. Get still and quiet and ask yourself, what do I already know to be true? Only through the exercise of great self-restraint does one learn to be free? Rian Najjar. So twos and sevens, I think both struggle with boundaries. So when I hear the words self-restraint, to me, I think about the struggles that I have with emotional boundaries and time boundaries and where that comes from this false abundance, right? Thank you, Abram, for that language. I love it. So what I find for myself is that in the absence of those boundaries, I, I'm frustrated. I'm just frustrated and I'm not actually enjoying any of my connections um, because I'm just busy spinning out like, like a tornado. The fences are everywhere. They're like, you know, shattered into a thousand pieces and it feels very chaotic. And so for me, emotional self-restraint saying no to things. Our good friend Lee Fields just the other day was saying to me, wow, you're doing a lot of a lot, aren't you? (laughs) I was like, when my friends are noticing, (laughs) yes, when my friends are noticing, I'm doing a lot of a lot. Like, okay, the, the image that I have this all under control is clearly not working. And so, yeah, that was a good reminder to me to just step back and think about the, the fences that I need in, in order to be able to roam the prairie. How far can I take this metaphor of the fences? <laughs> roam the little house on the prairie. <laughs> yes. Prance uh, in the field. Yeah. Like a wild with, horse. With Laura Ingalls and... Wilder, <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> uh, okay, I have a thought now, I suppose. All right. So... I think this is a a challenging quote, you know, from from a three perspective because um, I think our lack of self restraint is often evident in our inability to discern what to say no to. So we end up saying yes to too many things, right? Because that's where we get the value and worth that we so desperately want. And so there's a lack of self restraint, thinking we can we have these delusions of grandeur. We can do anything and everything, and. Uh, that's not true, of course, not not even close. And so the commitments that we've made then become a sort of prison, you know, that and, and this cycle of just saying yes to too many things. 
and feeling like we have to show up and be impressive and productive and all of them can feel really stifling. And so I think self-restraint can be really a, uh, a powerful way of you know, learning the art of saying no and being okay, right? Getting back to that potential existential crisis that's always around the corner for the three um, that maybe saying no, we're going to be okay. And we, our yeses can be more flourishing and fulfilling if we are a little more picky and choosy. Yeah. So from the nine perspective, this has me going toward this, you know, this idea that, that nine, nine-ness is ambiguous uh, in, in nature at times uh, and gas-like more than a solid and how our energy gets dispersed uh, as a defense mechanism. And so there's a way in which I, I, I can't really ever show up for myself and make boundaries to say no if I don't have uh, some kind of practice of finding myself. So this makes me think of, uh, there's, a, there's what's called the rule, a rule of life. It's a monastic term. It's kind of a way to set up your life in a, in a, a framework or a, a, an ordered plan. Like it's to kind of plan your life in a really specific, structured way. Um, and I have shared this on here before, I'm sure, but a little over a year ago, I, I started a rule of life for myself where I would wake up really early and, and for two hours, I just, for the last over, for the last year, I've been doing that. And what that has helped me with is it's, I've practiced showing up for myself over and over and over and over and over. And now I have, I've gained a more substantial self from which I can live and stay boundaried within instead of my focus of attention always being on other people's agendas as, as much as it once was. Because of now I'm, I'm, I normally, in the past, it would be very easy for me to not be able to find myself because there's nothing here because I haven't substantiated that. I haven't cultivated this sense of self because, you know, it's a very scary thing to, for a nine to, uh, to uh, have a, personalized, personified, you know, anything. So for me, this is, this is all about the practice, the small, consistent little steps over and over and over and over and over and over that actually set you free. Hmm. When, there's, there's some resonance between four and seven. I really connect with, with sevens rather quickly. The, the lust for excess and beauty and wonder, um, we're just kind of... I'm looking down, they're looking up. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's, a, it's a great yin-yang situation. Um, but how I see this happen in my life is often the, the intentionality I try to bring to every moment of life sometimes gets in my way because I obsess about making something so perfect and so beautiful and so memorable and perfect on every level that it gets in the way of the moment that's actually happening. If I have a friend over, right, and I'm trying to make dinner and also make sure the playlist is perfect and all these other things, um, but I'm just I'm having a hard time engaging engaging them in, com- in conversation. That's that's where it's like you know maybe maybe it's time to just order a pizza. <laughs> Right, um, and I'm actually doing that tonight. I texted <laughs> another four friend. I'm like, "Hey, let's do dinner, non-extravagant, simple, cheap, because like otherwise, I'm just gonna try to make it some masterful experience. And sometimes that's not 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 what's that's not where the magic is. Sometimes, sometimes it is. But I think it also speaks to 
if I may go a wee bit philosophical here, the philosopher Hegel has a lot to say about this sort of thing. And I've been reading a book by Todd McGowan and um, one of the quotes is, contradiction itself provides a satisfaction that its resolution would dissipate. Hmm. A satisfaction that stems from giving us an object to desire. When we reach the absolute, we run out of future possibilities. And I think that for me, realizing that there is a beauty in incompleteness, there's a beauty and juiciness that, oh, it's not complete. And instead of obsessing about that and trying to get to that spot, it's like, no, that, that is the animating force that continues my curiosity and my belief that there's, there's more to come and that there's more to be discovered. So the temptation for sevens is to believe that to feel free and unlimited, you must avoid being bored and feeling inhibited by negative emotions. You do this through hypermental activity and positive reframing. So today, find a moment to pause. Take a deep breath and see if you can relinquish a little of the compulsion to seek excessive stimulation and excitement. Practice moderating pleasant options, embracing hard emotions, and allowing yourself to savor deeply one thing at a time. All right, so eight by Ram Dass. We can only tell the truth when we cease to identify with the part of ourselves we think we have to protect. Ooh. I would say how this relates to me is, again, one of my best friends in the world is an eight. And there's a, there's a camaraderie of just the noble, like just straight to the point, both like just really love the clarity that comes of not beating around the bush. And I've seen this as, I used to think that eight is the number I related to least, but over, over time and, and doing some work on myself, I, I've seen this sort of energy begin to emerge where I do, I do challenge, I do challenge a lot of things, right? I do push against concepts and ideas and critique things, um, but it's, it's not out of just making people uncomfortable and annoyed at me. It's actually because I deeply care about the thing that we're talking about. And I want mm -hmm. to be absolutely clear and let's push further into this to get to the, to keep seeing if there's any more else to be discovered. What tends to happen sometimes is I overdo that and I end up not realizing that I'm ostracizing is not the right word, but like dismissing things because they don't make sense to me. Um, and because of my own past with certain things and ways in which people have represented certain concepts and beliefs to me, I end up attacking something that it's like, oh, I'm, I'm attacking this a little too strongly. This is, this is not just about the curiosity. This is about pushing something down. Mm. And the force deep desire for authenticity can often come across and be fueled by this desire for distinction. Yeah, I think that um, my line to eight calls me calls me into honesty because there's a lot of ways I think that as a two, I will lie to myself and the people around me because there's such a fear 
of losing, of, of feeling abandoned or feeling unloved. And so the thing that I need to protect is um, those connections. And so whatever I have to do, even if that means telling myself I feel something that I don't feel uh, for the sake of keeping that connection. And so I'm invited by this to, um, to connect more deeply with myself first and, and get to a place of truth which interesting enough, like my line to four helps me do that too, right? Like being more mm-hmm. authentic. Yeah, just cutting through the the padding there, what's what's trying to keep my heart safe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in, in, in doing that, I think that my um my relationships, there might be sometimes insecurities about are these are these connections true? Because I haven't been true. And so my willingness to be honest it puts my heart at ease because then I know that the connections I have are, are true because I've been truthful. That's great. No, I can relate to that as a three, you know, in that heart triad, I think as a young kid, I was, I was a really sensitive kid. And I think my, my personality developed in many ways as an overreaction to how much I hated my sensitivity as a young boy. And, and what has that has resulted in, I think, uh, is a, a protection of my heart that mm. has served me well in a few ways, but then and not so well in a bunch of other ways. <laughs> and uh, it, it, I think, feeds this potential for deceit that the three can, you know, be prone to self-deceit primarily, right? Where we're not kind of sitting with and dealing with um, some of the tougher parts of our emotional world, right? Um, and because we want to protect, I think there's still a part of my type structure that wants to protect, you know, young child Drew from being sensitive. Yeah. For me, uh, the part of myself that I think I have to protect is the little me that didn't feel seen growing up. So letting that little guy come forward to stand in my dignity and value as a vital part of the whole. And that's the truth that I can't know about myself until I let go of the way that I try to manufacture peace through the illusion of control by avoiding disruption. So for the eight, the temptation is to believe that to feel strong and in control, you must avoid being vulnerable and becoming dependent on others. So today, find a moment to pause, take a deep breath, and work to let go some of the need for pushing against things forcefully to defend against the truth of your softer, sensitive side being revealed and exposed to potential hurt and betrayal. Practice moderating excessive intensity and allow your heart to be to strengthen even more by being more deeply touched. Quote for the nine is from Anais Nin. And it says, And the day came when the risk to remain tight in a bud was more painful than the risk to bloom. I think I could go a lot of ways with this quote. Um, threes tend to exude an air of confidence that's often fairly forced and contrived. <laughs> and so, um, the you know, in our own ways, we kind of remain tight in a bud of our own kind of image that we've crafted. And the real kind of courage and vulnerability can be accessed when we're willing to bloom and and are willing to take a risk to bloom, to do things that are out of our comfort zone that maybe uh, transcend our ability to craft an image. And that 
that's really scary to a three and times in my life where I've had to do that. It, it was yeah terrifying or where I've chosen to do that, I guess. Um, hmm. Yeah. I think this, I mean, this speaks to in some ways, any, any person's journey, probably the most than any of these other ones, right? What we're talking about is any type and that is keeping things contracted Again, I'm thinking of like Tara Brock who said something along the lines of if you find yourself suffering, you can be assured that you've reached the limits of your smaller self or constricted self or something like that. Just that idea of the butterfly, right? That if you find yourself struggling, be like, why isn't this working? What's going on? Like that's the constriction part. And if we're able to relax and open into what's happening right now and to not approve of, but accept everything that's happening, the good, the bad, the ugly, the painful, the uncomfortable, the joyous, then we, then we can move beyond our smaller self um, and see something for what it is much, much bigger and much more hopeful. And how, how I see this and when it, when it comes to fourness, right, is yeah, striving to feel unique. And the harder I try, um, the more I suffer <laughs> um, and the more the story that I am the unique one that no one understands and I can never be connected to anyone. Um, that's, that's what feels most true until I trust that how I am and who I am, how I show up in the world is inherently unique and that I do belong because simply because I exist and for no other reason. Long story short, I, I had an experience where you know, just musing about how am I valuable? What is value? All these deep existential <laughs> four questions. And then having an experience in nature where I realized that what's underneath that question, the deeper question is, do I belong? That maybe I didn't need to be valuable. What if I started from, I belong because I'm here and I exist and that's enough. That's enough that I get to justify my space in the world. Um, and mm -hmm. to let go of that, I don't have to be valuable. That's the letting go and the blooming that happens afterwards. Then you can decide, well, how do I want to contribute value now that I know that I belong? Mm. That's some heavy navigating work there. <laughs> Ooh. I, yeah, I, I felt that. I mean, yeah. like as a navigator, the work we do as navigators to find belonging with ourselves yeah. first. It is very much, what is my role here? How do I, what can I contribute? How do I contribute? What's my place in the group? So there is a, uh, a deep-seated fear that um, I, as a, as a non, I'd rather not find out if I don't have what it takes to show up fully to life in an embodied way. And so to minimize the discomfort and the horrible disappointment of finding out I don't have what it takes to fully show up to life, I just deny myself knowing that at all whatsoever, even going there and realizing my capacity. But I actually think this is kind of 
this is why they say nines are like the prototypes for all personality expansion or for all like how we fall asleep to ourselves in a specific way, you know, because this is what transformation is about, like transcending your initial formation. So for me, this quote speaks to how when your original model for life becomes outdated, it's time to find what else you have within. What are the other um, strategy, the other aspects, the other parts of yourself that maybe you left behind or got forgotten about, you know, that need kind of reintegrated? So going back to this idea of, of the invitation to honesty, mm-hmm. yeah. for me from eight, I feel like part of that honesty is naming my desire, which is where I feel a lot of, I feel a lot of, um, solidarity with nines Mm. that we struggle to really name what we want and to name the deep longings of our heart. And so I know that one, I know that what's easy for me to do is to disappear behind other people and to kind of push them out in front of me and, and derive joy from feeling like I'm supporting other people as they bloom Um, And that can become painful um, when the desires start to (laughs) make themselves known. My songwriting coach said to me recently, you know, I think that you're afraid of being successful. I think you should think about that. And I think he's really right. I think he's really right about that. I I don't actually know. I don't know if I'm ready for being seen as a successful person or, you know, like, um, and I think it's yeah. a double whammy for whatever me that means. I, yeah. Yeah. Of course. Um, right. in, in the ways that my desires are saying move toward this, what success looks like there means I have to be more comfortable, um, blooming in front of other people. And, you know, I don't know, that feels really scary to me. Yeah, I'll add uh, I, I, what I hear from that and what I think is true for me too is that nineness is the fear of one's own greatness, especially if it gets in the nice. way of somebody else. Mm-hmm. So the temptation for nines is to believe that to feel at peace, you have to avoid your own significance and forgo your right to happiness to make it easier and less complicated for others to be happy. So today find a moment to pause. Take a deep breath and see if you can relinquish a little of the compulsion to blend in by diffusing your attention and energy when personal desire arises, especially around your own value and development. Practice allowing yourself to show up more fully to life by expressing your thoughts, your needs and preferences, even when they're in opposition to others, because you are an essential part of the whole. Wow. This is a deep episode, y'all. Yowza. Man. Should, we could probably just do all of them again and even more good <laughs> stuff would come out. Um, <laughs> I'm, yeah. This is really enjoyable. Good night. Um, maybe we should talk about types more often. <laughs> um, well, listener. Maybe we just work through all my content on my oh, posts. Okay. Just yeah, we, I take yeah. back the effervescent <laughs> comment I made earlier. <laughs> Listener, thanks so much for joining us. Hopefully you got something out of this and we would love to hear from you how you relate to those quotes as well. You can um, send it to any of us on our Instagram accounts or just through the Fathoms Instagram account that you can find in the show notes. So with that, we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Fathoms and Enneagram Podcast. 
If you found this episode helpful in any way, consider sharing it with a friend or family member. We are so honored to be on this journey with you, discovering our inner depths, one fathom at a time. Truthwork Media Studios.